Welcome to the 2011 Region 2 Convention. My name is Diane. I'm a compulsive overeater and the moderator for this session. Please help us preserve our cherished tradition of anonymity by refraining from taking pictures in this or any other meeting room. Will everyone who cares to join me please join me in the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The title of this panel is Happy, Joyous, and Free. The format for this session is a reading from our literature, three speakers, and questions from the Ask It basket. As the speakers are sharing, we will pass around a basket with paper and pencils for you to write any questions you may have. Please specify if you are directing your question to a specific speaker. Please be sure to keep the basket moving, even if you have already passed it. As speakers continue to share, members may think of questions that they did not have when the basket first passed by. I will now read a selection from page 89, paragraph 2 of the big book. Life will take on new meaning. To watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. Our first speaker is Miriam from San Fernando, I'm sorry. Our first speaker is Miriam from San Fernando Valley, <laughs> San Fernando Valley, who will speak for 12 minutes. Please welcome her. Hi, I'm Miriam. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, it's so funny because she was just introducing me, and then, you know, Michael next to me goes from Stanford University, and I thought, you know what, doesn't matter how smart you are, how educated you are, how much money you have, in fact, the more educated, the more money, the more of a liability it is for me, because I have more resources to pull from, from my head, and uh, my absent date is November 1st, 1998. I'm 45 pounds down from my top weight. I've, I've kept it off for over 11 years now. Uh, while I was abstinent, I had two children. I got married. I became a professional. Became a homeowner. Two car owners, or owners of cars. My husband's a normie. <laughs> and... Uh, all I can say is, before program, I was absolutely crazy, and I was 175, and I had dieted my way up to being 175, and all I knew was how to be on diets. I didn't know how to exist without being on a diet or, or you know, whatever, and um, I wanted to just end the hell of compulsive overeating when I came to OA. And I first came to OA at the Darby office in Reseda, and I was 18. That was a while ago, and I was so defeated by this disease. But the truth of the matter is, I was so willing to admit defeat that there was a freedom in that, that finally when I said, I don't know, I need help. And if there's anything, I, and I say this a lot, um, if there's anything I could stress, it's just keep coming back because when I first came to the Darby office, um, I hung out for about six years, and I did the best I could, but I never left. And I had worked steps one through 12, uh, one and 12, not through, one and 12, but it was the best I could do. And then after about six years of hanging, out, hanging around, you know, there's a saying in the AA Comes of Age book that some of us are like in the train station. You know, we're sitting in the train station, and we're watching the passengers go by, and we're hearing the overhead, you know, the, the microphone guy saying, okay, you know, whatever, and we're believing that we're going somewhere. 
And if we sit there long enough, we actually think we're going somewhere. But the truth of the matter is, we haven't gone anywhere. But we think we are. We're still in that train station. It's only when you get on that train and the train picks you up and takes you that you really start to work the steps. And that was after about six years where I actually got on that train and I got a sponsor. And um, and where I was headed, I didn't know. <laughs> but it can only have been better than where it was because when I was in the food, I was into my head and my thinking and the problem is in my thinking. If I change my thinking, I won't want to go to the food. How am I going to change my thinking? Not by using Miriam. I had to use the steps. And that was by working steps 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. I had to work all of them. So when I got a sponsor, did what she told me to do, didn't question what she told me to do, I did everything she said. I didn't go to the food. And I just wanted to be out of that hell. And my life got better. And after about four years of abstinence, um, I certainly was rocketed into a fourth dimension. I mean, like they talk about that, and I was. I mean, there were experiences where, mystical experiences, where you just couldn't explain it, except something's happening here. And this is as soon as I was willing to take direction. And my life was got good. Um, and I didn't go to the food. And I became like a normal-sized person. All of a sudden, I was wearing like two and four. I only knew sizes 14 and 16. You know, when I was a teenager, I wore the big girl sizes. You know, I was a fat kid growing up. And all of a sudden, it's like a little person. And people are looking at me. And and it was it was not always happy. I was scared to death, you know. But I used the higher power to protect me. And they told me in this program that, see, my higher power wants me to be an attraction to newcomers. And so my higher power, if I do what my higher power tells me, if I do what the program tells me to do, I'm not going to be fat and unattractive because I need to be an attraction to newcomers. So if I do what this program tells me to do, and God, you're going to protect me in that moment when I want to eat, then okay, I'm going to trust you. And I would be so scared, but I would do what that higher power told me to do, and I would do what the people in this program told me to do. And as a result, I didn't die if I didn't eat. And then all of a sudden, I'm this tiny person existing in this new world, abstinent, scared to death. But you know what? It was so much better than being in that hell, and God did protect me. So to speed things up, um, 11 years later, I am very happy, joyous, and free. But don't think that life's problems doesn't, you know, it gets to me. But I'm not in the food. See, if I go in the food, I'm immediately rocketed back into that misery. I can't go there. So how do I not go into the food? If I could just not, if I could just not eat, I wouldn't be here. See, I have to replace it with something. So I replace it with working the steps and the tools. I use this program for dear life because if I don't, I'm going back to the food. My normal default is food, wanting to eat food. Um, especially when things are stressful in life. And, you know, you look at my life and there's a lot to be grateful for. But my problem is my head still. It's never gone. I'm, at least I'm aware of it now. But, you know, I my sponsor said this about me. If I was living in Malibu, I'd be focusing on the person living on the hill with a view in Malibu rather than my house. Like, see what I'm saying? I would be focusing on the person who has more over there. You know, so... The way I get out of that is by going, oh, there I go again, you know, and I switch. I change channels right away. And I'm pretty good today. My health is good. I have a very um, healthy family, loving family. There is stuff. There is stuff, but I can't complain. I can't complain. If I think about where I would have been, and I do have a, a health condition where uh, I was thinking about that coming over here. I've, I've had type 1 diabetes for 31 years. I'm, I got it when I was 9. I'm uh, 38, 38, oh, 38. Can't believe I'm 38. But anyway, <laughs> I know you're all going to shut up. But anyway, when, when you're there, it's like, oh, my God, I'm aging. But it's fine. But I'm thinking my, <laughs> my health is good. You know, I have no complications. I work hard at it. I work hard at this program. I work hard at my health. 
I work hard. Every morning I get up, I get on my knees, I do my meditations, I take my phone calls from my sponsees, I call my sponsor, I'm honest with her, I do the writing, I do my 10-step, I call people in the program, I go to meetings, I wash my food, I write it down, I record my food, I pay attention. I take my, my, I check my blood 10 times a day sometimes, you know, just to make sure that it's where it should be. I go to the doctor when I don't want to. I go to the doctor. You know, I do these things. I go to the dentist. I do these things. Um, I didn't do any of it when I was in the disease. I didn't want to. I didn't think I mattered. I didn't care. To get dressed, to look good, to look presentable, I wasn't worth it. I had this mentality that, you know, fat people, what's the point? I'm ugly. Who cares? You know, I don't have to do that today. Today I'm worth taking care of myself. And that's also where the switch happened. All of a sudden, it switched. All of a sudden, it switched where I felt like, you know what, Miriam's worth it. I'm worth not hurting myself anymore because I had hurt myself for so long. And it wasn't just through the food. It was through relationships. It was through the choices in my life that I had made, the choices that I didn't make, all that low self-esteem, all that stuff. So as a result of doing the opposite, which was working this program, my life got really good. My life is very good today. Um, in my profession, they keep asking me to do more, which is like, you know, I, I grew up thinking I was stupid. Um, and it's funny because when I was in college, I remember I was in this room full of like 300 people. And um, I remember thinking they're going to come and say, um, Miriam, um, you should not be in this college. We goofed. You shouldn't be accepted. I'm sorry. You're going to have to leave. But, they, you know, that's how I always thought. Like, somehow they, someone screwed up. It's a joke, you know. But I am smart. I never thought I was because I had this disease. I was an overachiever. I never thought I was good enough because of this disease. Um, it's funny because at my school, I'm, I'm gifted coordinator. <laughs> I'm, I'm in charge of the gifted. And I'm thinking, what if they only knew? <laughs> If they only knew who Miriam, you know, but it's God that's gotten me here. It's God that's given me my whole life. And my whole life is really good. It's really good. And it's never over. And you know what? Someone asked me to be of service here, and um, I'll do anything for OA. And I'm never done with OA. And my husband says this, too. You have your people to go to. I don't have anybody. You know, my husband has his friends, but they're not. You can't be as candid as you can with people in OA. I mean, I truly feel like my guard goes down at OA. And um, if you're here, don't ever leave. Just keep coming back because this is where the gift is. And I remember thinking this too, like, you know, we have those educated people in my family. And I remember feeling like nobody hears me, nobody sees me, just feeling invisible. And who, you know, education. You know, look at where that got some people in my family. That You know, I have my opinions about that. And I always felt like the truth is never spoken in my family functions. No one ever speaks the truth. You know, everyone's kind of on the surface. But at OA, I remember feeling this and thinking this for, with all my heart, that the truth happens here and the healing happen, happens here. And it doesn't matter what you do outside in that world because this is where the healing is. This is where the recovery is. This is where people get better. And you can't explain that at the university. I mean, maybe you can. I don't know. But in my opinion, it's education, you know, or how much money you have. You know, there are people who have so much money and still don't get this. They still don't get this. And it's not about that at all. It's really about connecting with a higher power, getting a sponsor, doing what you're suggested to do, even though I think it's doing what you're told. <laughs> That's what works for me. Um, not questioning, you know. I've had sponsees who, who argue with me, and, you know, that never worked for me. Um, they think they know better. Good luck. Anyway, um, my life is good. Thanks for letting me share. Our second speaker is Kathy from San Diego who will speak for 12 minutes. Good afternoon. My name is Kathy, and I'm a compulsive overeater. 
it's really, really good to hear. Can you hear me okay? I'm not used to using a microphone. Um, I wish I was 38. Uh, I wish I was... I wish I was 58, you know? <laughs> I'm not. Um, but a little bit about my story. I came to OA five and a half years ago. I became abstinent on January 3rd, 2006, and I went to my first OA meeting on January 5th, 2006. I was lucky in that I came here via another 12-step program that helped me recover from growing up in an alcoholic crazy home. And I got so much healing during the 11 years I was in there. And then I hit a wall. And I, I all my life I've been a yo-yoer, you know, up, down, up, down, periods of being thin, periods of being really chubby, never obese, um, never throwing up food, never walking away from food, never walking away from food. But um, what happened for me was I had a joyous occasion. And I left that joyous occasion and thought, I have to celebrate. And for me, that meant, well, I haven't had any chocolate in a long time. So I went and got myself some chocolate. Sorry to bring up the food, but I, this was such a God experience for me. I already had a higher power who was clearly showing me a new direction. Anyhow, I got my chocolate. I ate a few. I ate some more. I finished the bag, I went back the next day for more, and it started an avalanche, a binge for me that I couldn't stop. And uh, interestingly enough, about a year before that, I had gotten a sponsor in my other program who had 15 years of OA under her belt. You know, she was so healthy and so attractive, and her mind was healthy, and her body looked great. And somehow God was working. I ended up with an OA leader that I read every day for a year before I ever got to an OA meeting. And... I just lost my train of thought. See, I'm not 38, but <laughs> anyhow, um, my binge kept going, and I was totally aware of what was happening. And all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, it happened over a period of time. I packed on 30 pounds in just a couple of months, which I'd never put it on quite that fast before. I, I'm, I'm, ha I'm having to rethink this. Um, I got scared. I think the bottom line was I got very, very afraid because I could not stop. And I thought, but I have a pow higher power in another program. There's no reason I can't use this higher power. And I was stuck. I was stuck with my friends in my other fellowship. I was stuck with myself. I hated myself. I was just riddled with guilt and shame. And I finally called my sponsee in this other program and said, tell me those meetings you suggested. And this was during the holidays, and I actually quit my binging after the 1st of January, and I got to my first meeting two days later. And I walked in, and I didn't know where the room was, and here was a woman walking in that I'd known for all my years in my other program. And she took me to the room, and she's been my sponsor from then till now. But I walked into the room, and I didn't know what I was walking into. I didn't know about LA. I thought she had to be morbidly obese or, or dangerously anorexic or bulimic. I walked in, there was a lot of average people in there. And what really threw me, what I didn't understand until that day of that first meeting, that was that, was that I had a disease. I had a disease of over, compulsive overeating. I've had it all my life. There were times I could control it, but with me it was clearly progressive. And it had gotten out of control, and I couldn't stop. And I didn't know where I was going. I mean, I would have eaten myself to death, I think. I literally couldn't stop. So that day I got to introduce myself. I'm Kathy. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I couldn't believe I had to say those mortifying words. But, you know, that's the best day of my life. To find out that I have an incurable disease, that I found the rooms where the fellowship could help me, could help my higher power release the obsession from me. I'm, I've been abstinent for five and a half years. I've had a lot of ups and downs. But I have to tell you, happy, joyous, and free, the reason I'm saying all this is my first two years of abstinence, I'd heard about this, it happened. I had a pink cloud abstinence. My weight came off right away. I was happy, joyous, and free. I was going to lots of meetings. I called my sponsor some. I worked my steps. I'd worked my steps before, blah, blah, blah. I went to step studies. It was all great. But they kept telling me that pink cloud was going to dissipate someday. I said, nah, not for me. Well, after about two years, my pink cloud drifted away. It just was gone. And 
I still wasn't, the food wasn't calling me. I had my three planned meals, nothing in between, optional snack if they get too far apart. Uh, they have a beginning, they have an end, and then I'm through eating, and I have a life in between meals. You know, I never had that before. I was always worried, where's the next one coming from, or what can I eat at the next meal, or what can I snack on? And getting to the three meals was just freedom, absolute freedom for me from the obsession of overeating. I, my sponsor likes to say that I had done step one before I got here because I walked in that day and I was ready. I knew the food had me beat, and I know the food will have me beat again if I pick it up. So what happens for me was then I got into maintenance, and I go to a wonderful meeting in San Diego. It's called the Maintainers Meeting, and I, that was one of my first meetings I ever started going to. It's fabulous, and there's a lot of you here from there today. Thanks for coming. And... Um, so I got to learn about maintenance, and when the pink cloud went away, a whole lot of new awarenesses came up for me. I needed to heal more than just my eating. I needed to heal what was going on between my ears. I needed to pump up my spiritual program, and I needed to figure out how I was going to do this for the rest of my life, because this wasn't another diet that was maybe going to get me through a couple years of being somewhat slim. So what happened for me, and I would like to read, how am I doing on time? I have no idea. I would like to read a little bit from, this is AA Daily Reflections, which is one of the many daily readers that I read regularly. And I'm just going to fill in OA for AA. It's May 27th. It says, no maudlin guilt. I forgot, let me back up a minute, because what I didn't tell you that I meant to say, when I got to OA, I was so full of shame and guilt. I believed I was the biggest pig in the world, always had been, had to eat alone, out of people's sight. I never got full. It was embarrassing, and the piles of candy papers around me were just, if anyone had walked in and seen that, I would have died. I would have just died. I mean, they were literally piles. So when I came in here, what made me happy, joyous, and free was that the shame was removed, the guilt was removed, and this is something I've lived with all my life. <sighs> what a feeling. I actually started to feel comfortable in my own skin and to believe that I should, it was okay to be on the planet and that I could take a space of breathing, you know? I just, I always felt like everybody else had a right to be here and I didn't. But let me read quickly because I'm running out of time. But this, again, is no model and guilt. And this is from As Bill Sees It. Day by day, we try to move a little toward God's perfection so we need not be consumed by model and guilt. goes on to say, when I first discovered that there is not a single don't in the 12 steps of AA or OA, I was disturbed because this discovery swung open a giant portal. Only then was I able to realize what OA is for me. OA is not a program of don'ts, but of do's. OA is not martial law, it is freedom. OA is not tears over defects, but sweat over fixing them. OA is not penitence, it is salvation. OA is not woe to me for my sins, past and present, OA is praise God for the progress I am making today. And so the last few years for me have been about, you know, how do I live with this? What do I do for maintenance? Um, I really got into, I love the third step prayer. Relieve me of the bondage of self, because that really was my problem. It was all about me, you know. Nothing else was important. It was all about me, and mine didn't take the... I wasn't egotistical, I didn't think. I was more like, poor me, the victim, and, and I'm too chicken, and I have too much fear in my life, blah, blah, blah. But one of the things I learned many years ago in another program was an acronym for fear. There's two of them, actually, that I remember. One is F everything and run, and the other one is face everything and recover. And that is what I've really had to do the last few years. I've had some really awful stuff happening in my life. And actually, when I got the call to speak at this, I thought, why would you want me? I'm horrible. I was just starting to come out of a really rough period in my life, but I was so grateful to get the call, and I'm so happy to be here. But um, so relieve me of the bondage of self. Practice my, my morning ritual every morning without fail. Do my reading. Do my prayer and meditation. Talk. I have a sponsor that calls me at 6.30 every morning, and I love it. I just love it, and it's so fun to watch her grow. Um, do spot check inventories. It was the, the last three steps that really come up for me in maintenance, and that's step 10, 11, and 12. Sponsorship's been huge. And I'm going to finish up because I know I'm almost out of time. But today I can say I feel good about me. I may not always like the situations I'm in, but usually, you know, today I really like what I do in that situation. 
I've recently had, I've lost my mom, I've lost my sister. I did not lose my sister to death. I lost her to estrangement, which is it's a long story. I won't go in there, but I feel good about my part in it. And now I'm down to two minutes. Okay. So I'm comfortable in my own skin. I believe in facing everything and recover. That gets me out of the fear. Because the fear does still come sometimes. But I think having the courage to change, to walk through this, to have... For me, the fellowship is hugely important. I've never been in a room where people talked about food the way I felt about food. It's comfortable. I'm not crazy. Well, I'm a little crazy, but I'm, I have a disease. You know, I'm not just a bad person. So I'm going to close with a reading out of For Today, our daily reader in OA. Uh, it's July 3rd. Uh, and from the Just for Today card, I will not be afraid to enjoy what is beautiful and to believe that as I give to the world, so the world will give to me. It was a fear of living, actually, that made me hide in food. To be afraid to live is to be afraid of everything, good as well as bad, beautiful as well as ugly. In giving to the world, it is I who must make the first move, I who must run to meet life with a smile that says, I'm happy to be here. To like oneself, to enjoy life, and to have enthusiasm for its precious gifts is to give to the world. For today, freedom from food obsession restores me to my God-given right to enjoy the beauty of this world and not to be afraid to show it. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend. Our third speaker is Michael B. from L.A., who will speak for 12 minutes. Hello, everybody. My name is Michael Blanc, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And I want to thank uh, Kathy and Miriam for uh, going before me, and I want to thank you guys for being here. I didn't think there would be anybody here uh, for the first panel, and uh, so it's uh, it's kind of nice to see a lot of people here. Um, I uh, came to you uh, originally. I don't know. I, you know, I'm the oldest. I mean, I'm six. I turned sixty in March. Oh, okay. <laughs> Damn, I, I can't be unique in everything. I'm right in between these girls. But I don't know. I had my second colonoscopy last week. That was fun. Actually, you know, that wasn't that bad. Um, it really wasn't. You know, all that stuff that you have to, those of you who've had it and you've got to drink that and stuff, it, it forced me to work the tool of the program. I, I, I called people a lot during that two and a half hours, and they literally, they just talked the shit out of me. It was a wonderful <laughs> But um, anyway, and you know, the, the anesthesia afterwards was just wonderful, you know, you didn't feel anything. And for that day, I was in love with my wife and my kids and the whole world was wonderful. So anyway, I digress. Uh, I came to you a, a, a while ago. Isn't, this isn't my first time. I came in the early 80s. Uh, I was sober and clean and Alcoholics Anonymous. And I had a three-pack-a-day cigarette addiction. And I couldn't stop. And I started bitching about it in AA meetings. And old-timers told me to shut up. You know, it's for drinking. It's not for smoking. And, uh, and a guy told me about Smokers Anonymous. I think it's still around. It's called Nicotine Anonymous now. And I went to that program, and after six weeks of bitching there, uh, the three-pack-a-day addiction was lifted. And um, there was only one problem. That in the next 30 days, I gained 30 pounds. And um, uh, it wasn't the first time I had compulsively overate, but it was the first time I was aware of it because I was clean and sober in the other program. And I, I went to AA, and I started bitching about haagen and pizza and, and all the taquitos that I was eating. And, same old timers just rolled there, you know, drinking, you're here for drinking. And so I knew there was OA and I came to you guys and uh, sat in the back and I heard that a lot of you didn't eat sugar and the three meals a day, nothing in between. Some people didn't eat white flour and I thought, okay, I could do this, but I couldn't do it and I kept getting bigger and bigger and after about a year of trying to do it myself, I raised my hand, I said, my name is Michael, I'm a compulsive overeater. I don't know how to do this, I'm, I, I'm, I need help. And Matt M. Uh, raised his hand. He lost over 100 pounds, gave me his phone number, called him the next day, and he wanted to know what I was going to eat that day, and I had no idea. Neither did I want to have any idea. I never thought about what I was using to anesthetize myself with food. And he said, well, why don't you tell me? Call me tomorrow and let me know what you ate. 
And, uh, and I did, and I don't remember what it was, but I remember being very shamed and embarrassed about it. And uh, I, I trusted him enough to start doing that on a consistent basis. Today I call it taking a fifth step with my food, admitting to God, to myself, and another human being the exact nature of my food. You know, good, bad, or indifferent. And I still do that today. Um, just to, oh, darn it, and I didn't start my 12 minute, so I have no idea where I am. You'll hold up the five. Um, so, um, yeah, I still do that today. In the late 80s, I started getting into other things, and I stepped away from you guys because I was feeling pretty good, uh, except uh, I started to think a little bit too much. And I have a, a history of mental illness in my family. My mom was literally a schizophrenic, and she had the lobotomy in the early 50s where they cut out that part of your brain that they thought was disease, and, you know, a lot of shock treatments, and healed over at uh, Camarillo State Hospital in the early 40s, uh, in her early 40s, uh, going to get a pack of cigarettes, you know. And uh, so anyway, uh, it was not a, a pretty thing. And so in the back of my mind, I thought that I might have a little chemical imbalance going on, you know. And so I pulled away from both of my programs and I got heavy into psychotherapy and I started hitting teddy bears. No, you don't hit teddy bears. You bring teddy bears to meetings is what you do. I started bringing teddy bears to OA meetings and there were attractive women here and I got a lot of sympathy in those days for the, the teddy bears. I wasn't married at the time. But anyway, I was crazy. I was practicing alco uh, active compulsive overeatingism. You know, I would say alcoholism if I was in my other program. And the world got ugly and I quit a part-time job that I was involved with for 12 and a half years. I wouldn't work full-time because in those days I was an actor. And uh, I didn't go to any auditions, but I went to the beach a lot um, to work on my tan in case any auditions came my way. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, and so finally I just I got the, the resentment at somebody at work, and I said, you know, I'm going to go out and act. And um, most of the time when I would call my sponsor and say, I hate this job, he'd say, well, get another job, Mike, before you quit that one. But this time I called my sponsor, and he wasn't at his desk. And I called somebody else in one of these other weird things that I was involved with. And the guy said, Mike, go with what's in your heart. And I thought, God, that sounds spiritual. And I gave my two-week notice. <laughs> and, uh, and they were glad to get rid of me, I'm sure, after 12 and a half years of non-commitment. And, and, uh, and about three months after that, all my savings were gone. And the landlord wanted to get paid and bills wanted to get paid. And I was angry and restless, irritable, and discontent. And uh, I was seeing three shrinks. I was on an antidepressant and just kind of crazy. And um, I went to, in, to a meeting and I heard Dr. Paul, who was in the big book, uh, Dr. Addict Al Alcoholic, he wrote that part on acceptance. And he said, never in my 20-some-odd years of sobriety in those days, he said, have I had a problem to which the 12 steps did not offer me a solution? And I was so far away from the 12 steps, and I was so crazy and confused and so scared that I didn't ask him for his number after the meeting, but I asked his wife, Max, if I could get the phone number. And I called him the next day, and I told him my story, and he said, why don't you come back to the 12 steps, which saved your life originally, you know, to begin with. And I trusted him, and uh, he, uh, he brought me back to the program. And um, I told my... Um, a, a sponsor at the time, I said, you know, I, I think I need to go back to Overeaters Anonymous, you know, and he said, well, kid, he said, try every diet that you can, and if you have to go back, go ahead. And uh, and I wasn't about to do that. Now, my home group in the other program is very structured and is very disciplined and believes in respect for the program, and if you're going to talk and represent, um, you know, the fellowship that's saving your life, you wear a coat and a tie, you know. You do it to a church, to synagogue, whatever. So I, um, so I was afraid to tell my sponsor in the other program that you need a sponsor in this program. But I told him anyway, and he said, go for it, Mike. And I got uh, Richie Kay, who has since uh, moved, and he was my sponsor for many, many years here. Um, and, uh, and he brought me back to the 12 steps. And uh, my life has uh, changed. I have a career. I told you I never worked since, since I was 43 years old full-time. And, uh, and uh, I went back and I got a couple of teaching credentials and 
had a, a special day class for 11 years, worked with kids that were physically health impaired, little babies and walkers and wheelchairs, and my heart just, every time I bitch and complain to Richie, Richie, I don't know if I, their test scores and what am I doing? He says, just shut up and love the kids. Go to wake and love the kids. And I knew what he meant. I knew what he meant. And um, Richie moved. He deserted me to get married. And uh, so I had to find a new sponsor. And um, so uh, Terrell, I have a sponsor, Terrell. I have a home group at our kitchen sink on Saturday mornings. If you guys are ever around the log cabin in Los Angeles, that's where I hang out on Saturday mornings. And my uh, abstinence date is July 20th, 1990. So if I do this uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, I will be uh, 21 years old. And uh, I doubt that I will necessarily be an adult, but I would uh, like to act more like an adult, and I try to do that on a daily basis, uh, a day at a time. I have three kids. I'm married. Um, I have a, a daughter who's in college, her first year in college, and lives off camp on campus, and we're getting her a car tomorrow. Somebody in the program donated their car to us because my wife has been out of work for three years, and. Uh, it's a perfect gift. It's got a lot of mileage on it, which makes the insurance a little bit cheaper. And um, what else? I have a 12-year-old son and a 15-year-old daughter and a 34-year-old son who was clean and sober for four and a half years in Alcoholics Anonymous. We, we go to the same meetings together. My dad died of cirrhosis of the liver. His dad died of cirrhosis of the liver. So I see that the program not only works with me, but it's breaking the chain of the disease uh, you know, in my family. And uh, happy, joyous, and free? Uh, yeah. A <laughs> um, lot of responsibility. Do I get scared? Yeah. Do you guys remind me that I'm not doing too much to make my life happy, joyous, and free? It's all in a higher power that has changed my life immensely and that lets me calm down a day at a time and try to enjoy this thing because I'm intense. I got all these emotions going on. I get angry real quick. I'm a control freak. I can be a rageaholic as well uh, with my wife and my family. And, uh, you know, you guys are teaching me, me how to live. And, and the most important thing is you're connecting me to my higher power because I don't get it. I remember telling Richie, you know, Richie, a lot of people get down on their knees and pray. You know, I come from a Jewish background. Jews don't get, back, get down on their knees. And he said, Michael, he heard my story. Since when have you ever been a practicing Jew? <laughs> That's right. I never, you know, I never went to temple. So I got down on my knees and I do it ever since. My sponsor says, I don't know if whatever prayer I say, I can't guarantee it ever goes out of the room. I have no proof that there's a God, but I know that I feel, I feel better when I do it. So I feel better when I do this, these things. I started out today, thank God we have so many meetings in my area, and we read a, a section of the big book called He Sold Himself Short. And the, this paragraph just resonated with me. I circled it. It says, This latest part of my life has had a purpose, not in great things accomplished, but in daily living. Courage to face each day has replaced the fears and uncertainties of earlier years. Acceptance of things as they are has replaced the old impatient champing at the bit to conquer the world. I have stopped tilting at windmills and instead have tried to accomplish the little daily tasks, unimportant in themselves, but tasks that are an integral part of living fully. I'm glad you guys are a part of, one of my part of a little daily task that I did today. It makes me feel stronger. And thank you for letting me be here. Now is the question and answer segment. Could I have somebody bring up the uh, ask it basket, please? Thank you. Okay. Uh, the first question is, how do you stop yourself from eating five instead of just one? Who would like to take that Hi. Um, the only way I can stop myself from eating five is to, to eat that thing, whatever that thing is that makes me want to eat five. Because there's no five, it's not enough. 
And uh, so back to mealtime, which is when I do eat, I frame my meals. Diane taught me that many years ago. And I put on my plate what I believe is a good, healthy meal for me. And I don't go back for seconds almost all the time. Um, but that's how I don't eat the five. Because those foods don't call to me like my, my serious binge foods. So if, if, if I need to eat five, then I don't need to be eating that food. Um, taking a fifth step with my food and being honest about it, good, bad, or indifferent, and, and, and asking God for help really helps me. went to an angel game, uh, Dodger game, this weekend with my son. And I guess, I don't know, the intimacy, whatever it was, I ordered nachos, super nachos, and they're chicken nachos, so they're healthier than the beef nachos. And they put the chili and the sour cream, and they just heaped it on, and I, I brought it down, and I started to eat them, and I said, Sean, here, and he looked at him, and he said, Dad, that looks like vomit. So I didn't eat the whole thing, and I put it under the seat, and I thought it was wasted, and I told my sponsor about it, and so I, today I don't have chicken nachos. So. Okay, next question. Miriam, the switch, how fast was what the eternal voice feeling that convinced you? Did you understand that? Here it is. You want to read it again? Well, you know, it's funny, real quick, I was I was dating, okay, well, I was in a way, I was dating, not really, but, you know, as far as it, uh, there was a guy in the program, not kind of in the program, and uh, out of the program, met him at my work, where I used to work, and um, we, I thought we were dating, but not really for a year. After a year, he had told me that he fell in love with a 17-year-old who had two kids from two different guys, and so that showed me that all of a sudden, what, you know, and, and that was kind of like my second window of bottom. Like, Miriam, what the hell is wrong with you to have allowed this to go on for so long? And I saw it as a moment of abuse. Like, I've allowed this abuse to go on. I've done it. And finally, because I had hung around for six years, I realized that I was doing this. I was diseased. I was creating all this misery. I was doing this, and then finally it hit me. No longer am I going to let anybody hurt me like this again. No longer am I going to hurt myself like this again. So it was an immediate, like, I have to put all my heart into this program and just put all the energy I put into this disease, I'm going to put it into this healing and into the program. And that was physical action. So it was an immediate, like, I'm not going to hurt myself anymore. I'm going to be worth it. And then from that point on. So it was really, truly immediate. Um, but I kept coming back. And then finally I was just like, that's it. I'm willing. So um, that was it. How fast? It really, truly was immediate. Um, if it's not immediate for you, just keep coming back. Because things happened truly slowly over time as well. And then as experiment, an experiment of, okay, I didn't die here. I didn't die here. I abstained through this, and I didn't die. Maybe there is something out there. And over time, my faith got stronger. That's all. Thank you. Okay. To any panelist, in abstinence, have you applied the steps to other areas of your life? If so, how? I can tell you right now, I, I am so powerless over, okay, I am powerless over my family. I'm powerless over my husband, and I am powerless over my kids. Um, I'm powerless over what my husband does. I, I have to constantly say to my husband, you know, 
and I, I am controlling. So I want to say, my experience has been, I do this, and then I get to let him go and give it to God. I do writing on people, places, and things because I can resent the fact that somebody is on TV. I can resent anything. So I have to write. So not only is it the food, I apply this to all areas of my life. I have to because if I don't, I'm in trouble. But the, the thing is, I won't even know something's going on until it is so uncomfortable that I'm so full of, oh, that I have to write about it, read it to somebody, turn it over, and then figure out what's the appropriate way to communicate to whomever about this because I can't just react. So I have to work the tools. and I do react, but I don't voice it. That's the key. And it says that in the 12 and 12, a straight of tongue and, tongue and pen, if I keep my mouth shut, I can't get in trouble. But I have to write it down. So, so I really do, you know, the 10 step. I'll write about what happened that I'm so angry over this or, or why am I so resentful or whatever. So I do it in all areas. You know, my kids, I made a call to somebody yesterday because my daughter is nonstop. <laughs> nonstop K-Rock. And she's nonstop. And I, and I had to just kind of pause, make a call, get on my knees, ask God to help me with her, my patience, you know. So that's it. Okay, how did you develop a conscious contact with God? Be specific, please. Uh, my, my developing a conscious contact with God was really slow. <laughs> And um, for me, the first, I heard this in my earlier 12-step program, but I heard about prayer. I didn't do prayer. I was kind of an agnostic. Uh, I heard a woman share that her favorite prayer when she was really in trouble all of a sudden was, God, please help me. And that was sort of my beginning because I could remember that and I could use it. And so for years it was, God, please help me. And then... You know, and I, I read my literature, I worked my steps, I went to meetings, and it was slow. Developing a conscious contact with my higher power was very slow for me. And it took several years before I actually got in so much pain that I hit my knees. Now I hate having a day when I don't hit my knees. My knee, I love being on my knees. Um, and how I think how it grew for me was I started having these wonderful experiences when I would turn it over to my higher power. So I had enough experience under my belt to know that I would do better if I gave it to my higher power than if I acted on my own will. So, and this is just something that continues to grow for me. They, I, I mean, I think about God constantly. I pray constantly. I talk to my higher power. I ask for help. And I remember to give thanks. Sometimes I forget to say thank you. You know, I ask for a lot of help. But for me, I've been in, in recovery for 16 years. And it's really sweet now with my higher power. Even when things are awful. I just keep coming back. I don't know what else to say, and it's just one day at a time. So, Okay, last question. Miriam, how do you overcome that feeling of being ugly and stupid? I totally relate. I won't buy the clothes I'd like because I think I still look like a fat person trying to look nice. I also fear my bachelor's degree taken away. Um, you know, one time I remember saying this to my sponsor. I just have to love myself. I'm going to go buy myself some flowers and I'll feel better. And she'd go like, self-love, BS. Don't, you know what you need to do? You need to go buy flowers for every person at your work and give them flowers rather than buy yourself flowers. It's only when you do esteemable actions that you're going to feel some self-esteem about yourself. And the truth of the matter is, instead of buying flowers for myself, I did that. I bought flowers, and I sent one to every teacher at my school. And the truth is, I felt better about myself. And over time, when I started to do more for others, I felt better about me. That was number one. Number two, this is very immature, but I'm going to share it. My first five years of abstinence, I had to get a higher power that is going to be my 
um, telling me the things that I never felt I heard. So I got a higher power that believed that I was a princess among princesses in the kingdom of his kingdom. So when I felt like I wasn't worth it, I'd go to the gym, okay, and I'd compare myself to all these pretty people over here. And I would imagine my higher power talking to me when I was exercising, saying, you are beautiful, you are my princess in my world of kings and queens, and you deserve to be here like everybody else, and I want you to pray for those people that you think are prettier than you. And I would pray for them. So I would have this whole talk, and over time, I started to truly believe that I was worth it. It didn't happen right away. That whole thing about, oh, love yourself. Yes, I did love myself enough to take care of myself here. But I didn't feel better about myself until over time I did things for others. And as my body got smaller, I'd go, oh, wow, I actually fit in this. But even then, I still go through times where I feel like, oh, eh. You know, I don't know. But they also told me that if I make an effort, I'll feel better. So I make an effort to put on makeup. Uh, I make an effort to get waxed. I make an effort to, I can't believe I said, I don't care. It's a way. Who cares? I don't care. It's the truth. And I do. I make it, my eyebrows. Okay, so I make, <laughs> so I make an effort. I make an effort. And, and that I learned through a program. You know, there's this one gal, she looks great. She makes an effort to look good, you know. And that was over time. So finally I just decided I was worth it. And I believe that my higher power believes I'm beautiful. And I would have that talk in my head of what my higher power would tell me. And over time, I would believe it. It didn't happen right away. Thanks. Okay. Please help me thank the speakers for sharing their experience, strength, and hope. Okay, it is time to close this session. Please join me in a moment of silence, followed by the uh, Roseanne's prayer. I put my hand in yours. I put my hand in yours. And together we can do what we could never do alone. No longer is there a sense of hopelessness. No longer must we each depend upon our own unsteady willpower. We are all together now, reaching out our hands for power and strength greater than ours. And as we join hands, we find love and understanding beyond our wildest dreams. Thank you for joining us today.